My mission is to help millennials achieve unwavering financial confidence that leads to more fun and less payments. Hey guys, welcome back to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. I'm your host, Jazzy, and today we have an episode about all things personal finance. Seriously, without realizing it, we covered budgeting, paying off student loans and credit cards. We also talked a little bit about investing and making money with YouTube. Today's guest is Justine Nelson. Justine is the CEO of Debt-Free Millennials, a personal finance education business and YouTube channel helping overwhelmed millennials improve their money situation without giving up the avocado toast. Justine was recently named a YouTuber to watch in Forbes for her simple, actionable financial tips, and I'm so excited to have her as a guest on today's episode. So let's go ahead and dive in. Hey, Justine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I know, it's been a while. I feel like, I can't remember which FinCon was it. Was it 2020 that we met? I remember being on lockdown, I feel like, or maybe soon after. I know it was virtual. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. Well, I attended virtually for two years and then finally made my in-person experience happen again in Florida this past year. So, um, Oh, nice. I know. So much time has passed. Yeah. I know you had just had a baby. I had a baby. That's why I missed Florida this past year. Uh, (laughs) Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, really exciting. How about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am living currently in the Los Angeles area, and I am a Midwestern millennial. I grew up in Kansas City, and for the past almost eight years now, I've been living in Southern California, primarily in San Diego. I have had a passion for personal finance before I even realized, (laughs) before I even realized it. And this all kind of stemmed back in my college years. Uh, I was a sophomore in college and I was doing homework at the time. This was 2008. During the Great Recession, and as a college student, I was blissfully unaware of what was happening to the economy. And my mom called me, and I'll never forget, I was sitting in my sorority house doing homework, and she told me that she had been laid off as a result of the recession, and uh, her and my dad could no longer support me financially through school. Something that I haven't shared on any podcast interview is that I am a first-generation college student. So my parents did not graduate from college. Oh, wow. Yay. Okay. So yeah, so I completely understand. (laughs) You get it. You get the the pressure of having to make grades and be academically successful. And also Mm -hmm. there's this enormous pressure to financially take responsibility. And at that time, I just was not doing that. So it was out of that situation where my mom said, you can do this. You're going to get a job and you're going to figure it out. And so I ended up taking a part-time job and was a server at Chili's, (laughs) Um, (laughs) slinging chips, tortilla chips and salsa and fajitas 
and smelling like fajitas <laughs> when I got home and taking out student loans because I didn't know any better and it was the easiest solution. So really out of that, I was able to take financial ownership and started to see, okay, like I need to take responsibility because nobody else is going to do it for me. And it was mm-hmm. out of that story that really started this path of personal finance. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. No, I I was right there with you. I had multiple side hustles and part-time jobs while I was in college too. And yeah, I paid my way with student loans as well and still am paying my way <laughs> through those student loans. But yeah, can you share how much you had in student loans and how quickly you paid them off? Yes, I graduated in 2011 with a bachelor's in marketing and I owed $35,000 in student loan debt. The very first job that I had after I graduated, I was making $10 an hour at an advertising agency as a marketing intern. (laughs) So it wasn't even a Mm. full-time gig. It was just an internship and I had all the ambition and drive to turn that into a full-time job and was able to do that and actually started my first full-time position at $33,000 per year. And it was at that time that I got a notification from the Department of Education saying I owed $230 monthly payments Mm -hmm. for the next 10 years. At that time, I was living at home with my parents So it wasn't the sexy post-grad lifestyle that I had always envisioned for myself. I really Mm -hmm. thought that after graduating college that I would live in a high-rise apartment, that I would be doing happy hours and doing copious amounts of sushi dates. I was like, sushi, (laughs) check. High-rise building, check. In an urban city, check. None of that was happening. Mm -hmm. And so... It was when I got that notification that it really hit home that I need to do something about this or else I'm going to be stuck. And I don't like this feeling of being stuck financially for the next 10 years. So I had made it a goal to get out of my parents' house ASAP (laughs) (laughs) and start living this lifestyle and making that happen and also making a plan for the debt. And Mm -hmm. initially my goal was to pay it off in five years. And what ended up happening, the number one tool that helped me pay off that debt was my budget. And when I created that budget, things started clicking. For me, I could actually see the real numbers and expenses coming out of my paycheck. Mm -hmm. Even though my paycheck at that time was around $2,000 per month, I could start making little, little changes and adjustments to the budget. And I was able to pay off all of the debt in two years, five months. That's crazy. Yeah, I was really like laser focused. And also, I was still living my life. I still Mm -hmm. traveled. I went to Colorado and California and Puerto Rico and Florida. And I did all of these trips while I was paying off debt within those two and a half years. So I think there truly is a balance between living for the present and also bolstering yourself for your financial future. Yeah. So wait, where did you learn how to manage your money and how to even create a budget? I had read a ton of personal finance books. So Mm. it was really out of actually my parents had taken a Dave Ramsey class and they're like, you should read this and no credit (laughs) cards for life. Yeah. And so I said, oh, my God. So 
I ended up <laughs> reading some of his books and just kind of figuring out, okay, who are the people in my life that I feel are financially confident and how can I mimic that? And so I actually owed a little bit of money to one of my family members who helped me pay for my exchange program to study abroad in school. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you know, this person is in a position to give me money and they have their right. own family to, to support. How how can I get to a financially secure spot like that? So really mm-hmm. just asking questions and looking online, reading books and starting to put together my own budget template to really help me stay accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, budgets are so important. And I feel like a lot of people think that they are restrictive. Like we need to rebrand budgeting because it really just helps you kind of tell your money where to go. If you want to spend it on travel, you can do that as long as you have savings and, you know, your bills paid and other things like that already taken care of. So yeah, what are your overall, I know budgeting, we can do a whole episode on that, but do you have any tips that you can share on budgeting, even tools that you've used? You said you used your own template. Do you recommend pen and paper versus some of these apps that are out there? What I recommend when it comes to budgeting is use what works best for your brain. So if what works best for your brain is an app and something that you can carry in your phone and look at it consistently, use that. If working with pen and paper, if you are a physical note taker, just in general with other areas of your life, perhaps getting a financial journal and writing down all of your transactions is going to work best for you. What I would say if you're brand new to budgeting is Try one method and stick with it for a few months. Try two months. If you're not going back to it, it's a sign that you need to pivot into another tool. So Mm -hmm. I really like using my budget spreadsheet because it's a mix of automatic formulas and it's also manual entry. So I manually have to enter in those transactions, which a lot of people would say is a drawback and would want to pivot to an app. The problem with the app though is that you can set it and forget it and forget yeah, to that open was my it problem. up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're like, well, I see the numbers, but I'm not really feeling any emotional connection mm-hmm. to this at all. Yeah, exactly. Whereas when I'm manually typing it in, looking at my bank account, my credit card statements, I'm like, I, I'm still adding up grocery spending for the month and I'm like well beyond what I budgeted yeah. for. <laughs> so that's my first tip is to use uh, what works best for your brain. And then the second thing is you can simplify it or you can keep it really granular. And so what I mean by that is in my budget, I have four major sections to it. So it's fixed, fun, fudge, and future. So the Mm. four Fs. Fixed is for all of your fixed expenses, what you know you absolutely are paying. Typically, this is your basic living expenses, rent or mortgage payment, utilities, groceries, car insurance, gas, All of those things live in the fixed section of your budget. And so that's a really easy Mm -hmm. way to organize your expenses. The next one is fun. So all of your discretionary spending, shopping, Amazon, Target, Starbucks, (laughs) restaurants. That's my problem. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So all of the fun stuff goes in your fun section. 
Then I leave a buffer called fudge. And fudge is kind of a play off of a Christmas story when Ralphie says, oh, fudge, <laughs> when he knocks the nuts and bolts off when he's trying to help I his dad it. change a tire. So fudge is your buffer money. In case you go over budget in another category, you can quickly just move that money to help make up the difference in yeah, that particular like that. budgeted category. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is future. And future is any of your short to midterm savings or any outside investing that you might do on top of what you would do with an employer such as a 401k or 403b. So mm-hmm. if you can keep it high level and just knock it out between those four sections, great. If you want to go granular, and I do, and most of the people that I do coaching with, my clients, they'll go ahead and make it granular as well. So they'll, under the fun section, write out restaurants or gym membership, any kind of subscriptions, everything goes under Mm -hmm. there just so that they have more awareness of how much they're actually spending in each of those categories. Right. Yeah. I love your fudge category. I haven't heard that before, (laughs) but it it makes it so much, I guess, a little bit less stressful, you know, because there are times when you might go over and to already have that portion allocated to help out with that is super helpful because I'm sure you've heard the zero base budget. That's basically, you know, what I think most budgeting tools are like you're trying to, you know, determine how much you can spend to get down to zero for the month. Um, so having a little bit already set aside for in case you go over is really helpful. And I never thought about having just an overflow, like extra fudge. Fund. It's so, so nice. It's, that's really it's cool. nice to build in. It's nice to build in the safety net just in case. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then I'm the type of person that I don't go that granular, <laughs> at least not with my fun spending. I'm just like, okay, here's the percentage that I can put towards fun and I can do whatever I want with it, whether that's going out to eat or shopping or whatever. But that's a specific amount just because it would make me nervous. And I was probably moving things around too much. Like, oh, I didn't spend that much in restaurants this month. I have, you know, some shopping that I've done. I need to move things around. And so it was easier for me to just, you know, have one just fun spending category instead. So one thing I do love about budgets is you can customize it to whatever works best for you. Exactly. I love how you keep it high level because then you have more flexibility in how you want to spend it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I know your business, Debt Free Millennials, is all about helping millennials get out of debt. So can you share why you're so passionate about helping people like me and (laughs) all of us get out of debt? I think a lot of times our culture really pushes over consumption and gets us to chase after material things and keeps us from really building financial confidence and building a life that we truly love. For me, I try to reflect building financial confidence with my core values. So what are my core values? I really enjoy spending time with my family, um, much like, you know, being a new mom, really being present for my daughter and thinking about my future. What does my family future look like? I want my finances to be able to take care of that and be able to take care of my daughter later on down the road. So when I see so many ads and programs for buy now, pay later, open up this new credit card, do a credit card debt transfer. 
it keeps us in this debt cycle where we can't seem to move from the level that we're at to where we really want to be. Mm -hmm. My mission is to help millennials achieve unwavering financial confidence that leads to more fun and less payments. Because when I think about less payments for me, it created so many opportunities to have a fun and adventurous lifestyle. I really value travel and I really Mm -hmm. value trying new experiences, even in my own city. And I knew that debt payments were going to hold me back from that because I would feel so obligated to hit those bills first and then there would be nothing left for me. That's why I feel so committed to this work and why personal finance kept tapping me on the shoulder. It's so crazy. I never, when I first started thinking about this as a business, I never once ever thought I would be talking about money uh, for a living. And it wasn't until (laughs) I started getting better and better and paying off my debt that I had family and friends come to me with their financial situation and they were asking me for support Mm -hmm. and help. And so it really did feel like a tap on the shoulder of like, tap, tap, can you help me, Justine? And I was like, wait Mm -hmm. a second, what's going on here? The universe is trying to tell me something. And that's when I really talked it over with my husband. He was like, you know, you can make this a business. This could be something. (laughs) And it was finally getting that courage, that entrepreneurial courage to actually step up and make it happen and make it come to life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad you did because I feel like it's so hard for people to know like who to trust number one and also like where to even go to get some of this, you know, financial knowledge there. I know when I was looking after I graduated from college too, there weren't many people talking about personal finance, which now there's so many more voices out there, which is great. But yeah, we need people who've also been in our position. For example, you have been a student, a college student, you have come out with student loans and you've paid them and overcome that. So you know, that just shows people what's possible for them too. And your story is super inspiring and obviously you know what you're doing. So (laughs) people uh, can definitely look out, look out for what you've, you've done and and try to replicate that. Yeah. And like you said, there's so many personal finance voices out there and influencers, content creators. And I love that people now have the opportunity to follow multiple voices and then, reframe their own opinions and figure out okay who do I vibe with the most who do I feel is the most relatable to my situation and stick with them stick with a couple Mm -hmm. of different voices so that you're not pigeonholing yourself into one piece of advice I think back when I was really paying off my debt it literally was Dave Ramsey Susie Orman And maybe a little bit of Ramit Sethi at that time. Ramit was like still kind of like just showing his star, I feel like. But that was it. I'm Mm -hmm. like, where are the female voices here? Yeah. We need more more Mm -hmm. female voices. And I feel like young. We're like around the same age. So I was seeing the same people. And it was like, okay, these people are so much older. They're in a completely different like phase of life than me. And yeah, I couldn't relate at the time didn't have a family at all and they were like they were a lot of personal finance bloggers at least were like extreme couponers I don't know if you saw this way back in the day but it was like the extremely frugal life and they just didn't do anything (laughs) 
like no fun at all. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this isn't going to work. I just graduated college, moving to a new city. I'm going to spend time with people. And I feel like everything I was reading and hearing about was like, if you have debt, you don't go out and spend money on like eating out at restaurants or whatever, you know, basically just a lot of money shaming. Yes. So I hated that. Yes. We have to remove ourselves from money shaming and move forward with spending on your guilty pleasures without the guilt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. Similarly, along that those lines of like taking advice from other people. I know one thing you mentioned, Dave Ramsey, one thing that I deviate from, at least from his baby steps, is the whole take on investing while paying off debt. So I know he says to kind of hold off on investing while you're paying off debt. What are your thoughts on that? I completely ignored that advice. I still contributed (laughs) to my 401k while I was paying off debt because I said, even if it's just a little bit, and at that time, I didn't know anything about retirement, 401ks, anything. So I said, I'm just going to do 2%. That that feels good. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do 3% and then see how that feels. So I really kept my contributions really small. And when I, I actually pivoted to two different jobs after that initial one. So while I was paying off debt, I had three different jobs that I was doing. I ended up moving to um, doing financial marketing. And then I ended my debt-free journey working at a public university. So in each career or each position, the retirement packages looked a little bit different, but I just kept the path. I continued to put money towards the retirement because I knew even a little bit would go a long way, especially if your employer offers a match. Like take mm-hmm. advantage of the match, that's free money. And then I could roll over that old 401k into the new one. And so I never left money on the table, even if it was small. I think I remember my first job, my 401k balance was $1,000. It, it, mm-hmm. it was nothing. I said, that's that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm going to do the work and figure it out. Now there are great resources like Capitalize that mm-hmm. can help you roll over existing 401ks yeah. into either an IRA or a 401k if you're choosing. So it's like, this is awesome. Makes it so much easier. Yeah. So much easier. So yeah, I I ignored that advice. Yeah, so did I. I was like, oh my gosh, if I do that, I will never invest (laughs) because at the time it felt like I would be paying off debt forever, you know? So yeah, I'd agree. At least getting that match would be the minimum I would recommend if you can. Are there any other strategies you used for paying off your debt? I know there's the debt avalanche, the debt snowball. Um, What do you recommend for clients? So I think it's personal preference and what really is going to motivate you. For me, the debt snowball method worked, which was paying off the lowest outstanding balance and working your way up to the highest, regardless of interest rate. Because I had multiple student loans, I actually had 10, and I didn't even know that I could do this at the time. But inside of your loan servicer account, you can actually allocate your extra payment towards a specific student loan. A lot of times these loan servicers will want you to make a lump sum payment across 
all of your loans. And what Mm -hmm. this does is while it does lower your balance a little bit, it's not as effective as putting that extra payment towards a specific loan. You will be much more effective and faster at paying off your student loan debt if you allocate it towards a specific loan. I didn't know this until late in my debt-free journey game when I kind of was playing around inside of my account. And I was like, oh, I... I can actually allocate this to the student loan number one and be Mm -hmm. done with it. So instead of, you know, $500, $2,500, $3,000 balances and spreading a $1,000 monthly payment across all three, I could focus Mm -hmm. on that $500 loan and pay it off very fast. That to me was the most motivating thing where I could see exactly, okay, this is now paid in full, $0 balance, and I got a physical letter mailed to me every single time I got that loan paid off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I kept those as little certificates. So I say, hang them on the refrigerator. <laughs> I, did, I did. I still have them to this day. I yeah. still have them saved because to me, it's looking back at that accomplishment and saying, I did not give up. So that's one piece mm-hmm. of advice. If you have student loans, which this is a hot topic right now because repayments are starting in the oh, fall, yeah. is mm-hmm. to take a look at how many individual student loans that you have. And for most of us, it's going to be multiple because you take out new student loans every year that you're in school. And then mm-hmm. applying that extra payment towards either the smallest outstanding balance or the one that has the highest interest rate. Yeah, that's so smart. I did the same thing and I was actually really surprised when I took a look at the breakdown and there were some loans that were like $1,000 left or less, like you said, when I was paying such a large amount, you know, overall, but there were a few that had such small balances. I'm like, oh, well, let me just knock those out. So yeah, definitely recommend logging into your account and kind of seeing that breakdown. Yeah. I mean, that works for me. It may not work for somebody who has high interest credit card debt. They may be really panicked mm-hmm. and anxious about seeing 20, 25, 28% interest on credit card debt. And so if that's the case, if you're feeling really motivated on that, go with the debt avalanche method, which would be focusing on the highest interest rate first. Another way that you could do this is called the stair stepper method where you group like debts together and then you can pay off according to highest interest rate or lowest outstanding balance inside of that group. So you could group all your credit card debts together. You could group all of your student loans together and then pick one of those methods and really focus on that group before moving on to the next one. So that's another method that's recently caught my attention. And I'm like, oh, that's really creative. I like that. I think that could work for some people. Yeah, I haven't heard that name yet. Um, So basically, you take your credit cards and you decide, okay, I want to do the debt avalanche on those. And then my student loans, I want to do the debt snowball. Yeah, yeah. So you can pick it as long as you're grouping or it doesn't even have to be like credit card groups or student loan groups, it could be a mix where the balances may be the same. Mm. So you may have balances that are the same across credit cards and student loans. Okay. And then you can pick, okay, I want the to pay off the highest interest rate out of this group. So it's, it's really flexible in a different plan mm-hmm. that you could implement as part of your debt-free journey. I think you've got to pick a method that feels most exciting to you 
and roll with that method for a couple of months and see how you feel. Because if it feels motivating or if you're feeling panicked, that's a key indicator that we need to switch things up. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask how long you would recommend someone sticking with a specific method because there are so many and I could easily see someone being like, okay, I'm going to try this one this month and I'm going to try this one this next month and you're not going to get a real feel for it if you do that. No, I would recommend to stick on a your debt-free payoff plan for three months because really we're only making these payments once a month. We can only move as fast as cash. We can only mm-hmm. move as fast as the paychecks are coming in. So if you can break it down, okay, for the next three months, I'm going to make my extra payment towards my highest interest rate debt. Let me see how that feels. Um, like physically and emotionally, I think a lot of times with money, we forget how emotional it impacts us. And then also physically, mm-hmm. like how does that sit in your body? With finances, we tend to think about things up in our headspace, and very rarely are we thinking with our full body. And so if your debt-free plan doesn't feel like a full body yes, then it needs to be something else. And you Mm. need to pivot until it does feel like a full body, I've got this, my intuition says, this is the, the plan and the path for me, and I'm going to own it and take financial responsibility and make this happen. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Love that, thinking about the full body. <laughs> yes. <laughs> full body, yes. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give somebody who makes a pretty good income but feels that they can't control their spending and they might even live paycheck to paycheck? This is typical, especially with six-figure income earners, Mm -hmm. which nowadays I feel like, especially in high cost of living areas like LA and San Diego, it has to be six figures. Right. The problem is with high income earners is there tends to be a lot of uh, lifestyle creep that happens because you have so much more discretionary spending and income. And I've seen this when I was working with a couple who makes together multiple six figure income. And I quickly saw how much. Uh, of their expenses were starting to eat away from their actual financial goals and keeping them from making progress. Mm-hmm. I think building out that budget and listing all of your expenses and then figuring out, are these expenses reflecting my core values? Is this really going to help me feel more at ease or is this actually stressing me out is a really good way to cut. Keep the things that you love, that you love to spend money on. I want you to have that even during your debt-free journey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Keep the things that you love to spend money on and cut out the rest. Sometimes we're on these subscriptions or we hire people to come in and take care of our home. The couple that I was working with, they had a lot of expenses related to just home upkeep. They had a house cleaner. They had somebody to do pest control, somebody to spray for mosquitoes, somebody to help them open up their pool in their backyard, somebody to do lawn care. I mean, the list went on and on and on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I said, what could we say? We're not saying no, but what could we say not yet to? So this is not a no, but a not yet. I want them to have the best yard. I also want them to crush the crippling debt that they're facing. Mm -hmm. And so it was when they could kind of compare what are the true wants, what are the true 
core values that I have, which they love spending time with their kids. And they really wanted to have that outdoor time with them. And also there was an opportunity for them to take on some of the responsibility of home maintenance and upkeep Mm -hmm. and cut out those subscriptions because we knew that money was going to go farther by redirecting Mm -hmm. it towards their debt and towards their true financial goals. Yeah, that's so smart. And I think if you're having trouble figuring out what your values are, do you have any tips for that? Because some people, I could see them being like, oh, I like this, but not really knowing what to do to dive deep into figuring out what their values are. I have a great exercise for you. It's called the contentment activities list. So what I recommend is you get out a sheet of paper or a journal and a pen and then set a timer for 10 minutes, put on some good music and in 10 minutes without stopping, write down all of the ways, all of the activities that you like to do that are fun, that bring you joy and don't cost any money. So this is where Mm. you have to get creative and think about, okay, what are the things that I love to do and it doesn't cost me any money? So for example, when I was doing this activity for myself, and I've done it multiple times because it'll change from year to year. I love FaceTiming with my best friend. I love watching Disney movies. I love (laughs) baking. I love reading, hiking, surfing, going to the beach, dancing, working out. All of these things are reflective of who I am as a person. I love being outside. I love connecting with my loved ones, the people who are closest to me. I Mm -hmm. love exploring my own hobbies like baking or being interested in watching a really fun movie. These are the things that kind of reset myself back to me. And it's also partly partly a Mm self-care list. So Mm. self-care and contentment. And one of the things that I do regularly is I will take a long bath and read a book and light a candle. That's like a weekly thing for me. It's like my husband knows tonight. (laughs) That's so nice. It's just me. Like, don't don't come in. Leave me alone for a half hour and just let (laughs) me be. And it's a way it's a way that recharges me, not only as a person, but Mm -hmm. also as a mom, too. Um, Yeah. And I think the contentment activities really helps you identify what those core values are. So for me, it's connecting with my family, being outside, um, my spirituality. Mm -hmm. What are those things that really help me recenter myself? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good, good exercise. You kind of, when you write that list, you'll be able to catch on to some themes that are standing out. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. When you launched Debt Free Millennials, was it a blog or what type of site or content were you producing? Because now I know you have your YouTube channel, which is great. So yeah, how did you get started and what inspired you to start creating content? When I first started, I'm a really good writer. I always love to write and I thought, I'll make this into a blog and I'll write a bunch of articles about money and paying off debt. That's where I'm going to start. When I first attended FinCon, the big personal finance conference for influencers and media, I attended it in 2018, and I had met with a guy who was in the blogging space for personal finance, and I I went to him and set a meeting to kind of get his advice on how on what I should do. And mm-hmm. he was really saying, well, if you want to go the blogging option, here's what you got to do. 
you've got to write the content. It's got to be so many words. It's got to be SEO optimized. It's got to have all these keywords. I (laughs) mean, he was giving me the drill down. And he said, if you want help with this, you know, we offer this Bloggers Academy that you can be a part of. At the same time, I had been dabbling with speaking on video and dabbling with like working with a camera and it was really exciting to me because it was new and it was something that really caught my eye when he started going through the blogging components and every all of the work and details that goes into it and then I came back to my hotel room and I saw my DSLR camera there that I had taken with me I was like sold I'm I'm doing YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) I'd rather not do all that other stuff now. (laughs) And and that's not to say that YouTube isn't hard work. It is. Mm -hmm. It for sure is. In many (laughs) cases, it it may be even harder work because you do Mm -hmm. have to show up on screen and present yourself. Yeah. I I just saw that camera and I said, I know that this is how I meant to spread the message. And it was something that I wasn't good at in the beginning. I had never spoken on camera before. And even still, I still mess up with my words. It's the consistency to go back to continue to get better and better. And that's why mm-hmm. I continue to show up despite the flaws, despite the the flubs and the mistakes that you may make. It's a way that shows vulnerability and transparency that I felt was more authentic to me versus mm-hmm. actually writing out the articles. And so that's what really pivoted me into working with YouTube and making videos. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like people can really get to know the person on the YouTube channel, the face that they're seeing compared to a blog. I mean, yes, you probably wrote it, but you could have used a copywriter and people use copywriters for YouTube scripts too, but at least like the person delivering it, they can connect with on video versus, you know, reading the text. Exactly. Yeah. So how often do you publish new videos and has that changed? I'm sure it has since you started. <laughs> yeah. When I first started and I was trying to do all of the things, I, I was doing YouTube and blog post writing and Instagram. That's where I got the advice of Justine, you need to go all in on one one platform. And so then mm-hmm. I I picked YouTube and really started to focus in on that. Before I was doing literally one video a month, which is nothing. Like if you're going to do YouTube, you at least have to be posting once a week. And that's how I started ramping up the quantity of videos per month. So I went from one a month to four a month and then four a month to two a week. And then at one point I was doing, especially right when we went on lockdown with the pandemic, I was doing three videos a week because I had nothing else to do (laughs) and uh was like okay wow this is this is a lot this is a lot so I backed it down and so my my normal cadence is about twice a week sometimes I'll do three a week depending on my schedule but currently it's twice a week yeah and do you edit your own videos so you have to factor that in too and creating thumbnails and all that stuff that goes into the creative side of creating videos? I used to. I used to um, do the whole thing. And I started real slow. Mm -hmm. I started with what was free, which was iMovie. And then Mm -hmm. I splurged and got the software for Final Cut Pro. And then after I had my daughter in 2021, I realized that I could not 
continue to edit the videos and that I really needed support. So I ended up farming that out. So now I have a video editing team who edits all of the videos. And then after that, I started networking and figuring out, okay, I need somebody to help me with my thumbnails too. So thumbnails and the video editing is all currently outsourced. That's nice. Cause then I feel like that helps free up your time to create more content, you know, it does. And that's your expertise. You know, you're the only person that can create, record those videos. Exactly. And batch filming has also really helped me too. So what I mean by that is I have dedicated film days. Every Wednesday, I go in and record my videos. So that means every Tuesday, I better have those Mm. outlines nailed down. So that means every Monday, I really want to focus on what are my ideas? What are some things that I've been seeing in the news lately or in the economy? What am I seeing my audience talk about a lot? And then coming up with those ideas. So I really kind of break it down per day what is that production schedule so that means by Thursday I'm uploading all the content the instructions my my vision for those video videos on Thursday so my editing team can start working on them Mm, that's a good system I like that batching is so helpful for everything I do that for TikToks well a lot of social media posts can be batched um so (laughs) yeah I love that it's, it's been a good system for me and one that I've stayed consistent with for the past couple of years. So if I see opportunities or maybe even moments where I feel like I'm slacking, then it means the system's not working. I got to change something. Mm-hmm. So then I realized I was reading some productivity books and realized when my best working times are. So between 8.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m., I have the most energy. Mm. And that's where I feel like I can have the most focus. That is the time that I should be recording my YouTube videos because I'm I'm present. Right. I'm awake, (laughs) I've eaten breakfast, and it is the time where I can show up and be my most authentic Mm -hmm. self instead of feeling tired or sluggish in the afternoons. So now that I know when my like peak energy levels are during the day, that's where I do my most high effective, most important Mm -hmm. tasks. Yeah, that's really smart. And you mentioned that you kind of finalize your outline on Tuesdays or by Tuesdays is the goal. So do you outline every single episode? Do you write out complete scripts? Okay. Uh For YouTube (laughs) scripts versus outlines, it really, okay, I do not like reading from a teleprompter and I've tried being super prescriptive with what I'm saying. And sometimes, yeah, there's a sentence that I really want to say word for word. But when I do more scripted line by line speaking on camera, I feel that I just come across very robotic and Mm -hmm. it leaves out the ebbs and flows of conversation. The whole point of YouTube for me is I'm speaking to my friend and I'm talking to them about a specific topic. So I really like to outline. And what I mean by outline is I will come up with an introduction. I will come up with about three to four key points. And then I will come up with a conclusion and then any calls to action that might be baked in throughout the video. Maybe I want them to download my free budget toolkit. Maybe I want them to explore what it might be like to work one-on-one with me as their Mm -hmm. money coach and baking in what is that call to action what do I want them to do above subscribing and liking the video and I make sure that that is included in my outline in bold so I don't forget to say it and I find that having that outline just really keeps 
the message, ca- not casual, but the conversation casual mm-hmm. and keeps it flowing versus just me reading off of a teleprompter yeah. and being a little bit more inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've tried with the YouTube videos <laughs> and I definitely felt like I was just like a news reporter. <laughs> so I was like, um, I'm going to have to figure something <laughs> out because this is not working for me. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> It has to be genuine. It has to be casual, mm-hmm. like as if you were talking to your best friend out at happy hour and talking about some of these things. That's that's how I want it to come across, mm-hmm. but also like have a structure to it so that I'm not lost in on yeah. tangents, that I actually mm-hmm. have an agenda for the video and teach exactly. them Exactly, because that keeps people engaged and your content is different because it is educational content compared to like someone's random vlog of their day, you know? Yeah. But I love the vlogs too. I will exactly. watch a They're vlog fun. any old day. They're super fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so along those lines, you have grown to, I believe, over 60,000 subscribers now. Last time I looked, maybe more. Um, but what are some effective strategies that you've used to engage your audience and build a community around your channel? The first strategy is consistency, which we talked about having a cadence of Mm -hmm. when your videos are going to be dropping so that they know and to expect content from you. If if you want to go ahead and I've seen people do this on their cover art for their YouTube channels, new videos every Wednesday and Friday. So it holds them accountable. Oh, I must post it on these days because I said so in my cover art. You Mm -hmm. can absolutely do that. But above all, just be consistent and have those that video schedule outlined and and move forward with that another strategy that's really helped me is baking in monthly series that people can expect from me my most popular series is our beers and budgeting episodes that my husband and I do together so every single month (laughs) yeah (laughs) every single month we are uh, breaking open our budget we're looking at a real income and expenses we don't hide anything and we also do it with a really tasty craft beer because I (laughs) could not convince my husband to come take a look at the numbers unless I offered some sort of beverage (laughs) to help keep him to yeah to keep him satisfied and actually stick around for longer than 30 seconds so that's really helped us and honestly really fun to do we get to highlight a new craft beer we get to go over the expenses together and make a plan for the next month. So it's helped us personally in our finances to have that series as well as a piece of content and a part of a series that people Mm -hmm. can expect from us every single month. So you could totally, if you were thinking about starting a YouTube channel, you could come up with a monthly series idea Mm -hmm. such as maybe different experiments. One year I highlighted an investing experiment where I invested a thousand dollars and then did not invest a penny more. And every single month I would just update people on the progress and what happened to that investing account. So there are different ways if you're thinking Mm. about your specific industry, what are some things that you could follow up with your community about every single month, or maybe it's a weekly series, whatever it may be. And I think that's a really good way to build up audience and community. Yeah, because people are obviously going to want to, you know, keep watching to see how things change yeah. over time. So that's really smart. So you just said that you guys are very transparent. If you're comfortable with it, would you mind sharing how much you've made on YouTube? Okay, so 
off of YouTube specifically, like YouTube ads or like the whole business in general? You can do both because I know, yeah, if you want to talk about how you've monetized in general, that works too. Okay. So in the past three years, um, my revenue has been around 110000 for the business. A bulk of that, well, I should say all of it really is contributed to my work with YouTube, whether it's brand sponsorships, mm. affiliate marketing, uh, freelancing, having YouTube as my platform really showcases my expertise in this field. And then it builds in confidence for either brands or companies to reach out to me or have individuals sign up to work with me one-on-one through my money coaching program. Um, in terms of mm-hmm. ad revenue, that de- that really depends on the season. Sometimes it's really high and other times it's really low. I think I actually was just in my dashboard uh, earlier this morning and it was looking like I was averaging my typical range is between two grand to $2,600 a month in ad revenue. And that is so cool because that's literally just for posting a video and people watching, yeah. it, you know, yes. <laughs> that passive it's income. Passive income. Abs- well, kind of, I still have to create the video. So that part's not passive, yes. but once right. it lives on the video, <laughs> uh, lives on YouTube, it's making money the entire time. Mm-hmm. I had a, a video go viral on um, what what car insurance do you need? Like, how do you? What are the steps to finding car insurance? And mm. that video went viral. It made thousands of dollars just from ad revenue. But in addition to the ad revenue, I think I made over ten grand in just affiliate revenue because I pushed an affiliate Mm -hmm. as part of that video kind of indirectly it was kind of a happy accident I was just like hey I'm using this car insurance (laughs) comparison tool go find go use it go test it see if it works for you and then all of a sudden the money started coming in I was like wow this is amazing so I was like how can I capitalize (laughs) on this even more should I be making more videos that Mm -hmm. mention this particular affiliate which I did I did and I started really tapping into Mm -hmm. how can I how can I continue making money off of this single video what are some other ways that I can push it yeah so there's so many you got ad revenue affiliate marketing selling your own products and services so yeah that's great well congratulations thank you that's huge and I'm sure you've inspired me to get back out there so I'm sure you've inspired other people too (laughs) yeah it's it's a grind um but the thing about this work is especially when you're talking about content you have to pick the platform that you yourself are on the most and then also couple it with something that you really really love to do so for me YouTube was an easy Mm -hmm. angle because it was new for me to record at that time but a platform that I really enjoyed being on and I I found that making that type of content was what works best for me some people that it might be Instagram it might be TikTok if you're constantly on that platform but even Mm -hmm. more so than that you're willing to put in the work to figure out what are the editing tools what's your workflow for that process are you actually seeing ROI from posting on on those platforms Let's see how you can streamline that. Pick a platform, go all in, make that your yeah. primary focus, and then you can slowly start to branch out and make content for the other platforms. So anytime I make a YouTube video, mm-hmm. I will try to cut it 
and then post it on Instagram or TikTok so that I'm taking one piece of content and then republishing it and and recycling that content over and over. Yeah. Work smarter, not harder. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Um, so one of the last questions I always ask my guests is what is the most important lesson you've learned when it comes to entrepreneurship or money management that you wish you had learned sooner? Oh, man. This is a really great question. When it comes to entrepreneurship, a really important lesson that I learned is to have self-trust and is to trust your intuition because I've been faced with really high highs and really low lows in my business. And that that's entrepreneurship in general. Mm-hmm. When I think about opportunities that have presented themselves to me, I always try to just focus myself and think about what does my body say? What level of self-trust do I have in in this transaction, in this opportunity? And going back to the full body yes, is this a full body yes, especially when I'm thinking about uh, signing on new work for contracts with with brands, is this a full body yes for this? Mm-hmm. And also finding mentorship and coaches for me because any entrepreneur is going to tell you this is not a one person game. You <laughs> yeah. absolutely have to have a team of support behind mm-hmm. you. And the only way that you'll be able to level up is to find really good coaches and mentors to get you there. And I think about that as a lesson that I've learned is I, I can't possibly try to get to the next level in my business without changing something and having that support. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's another big takeaway for me when it comes to entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's great. Love it. Well, um, I know we've run out of time here. So do you want to go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you? Of course, you can head over to YouTube and search for Debt-Free Millennials and subscribe to the channel. You can also find Debt-Free Millennials on TikTok and Instagram. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on. Thanks, Jazzy. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, I'd love if you subscribed and left us a review. Another way to support the podcast is to take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram story. Tag me at First Hustle Then Brunch so I can repost it. Thank you so much for supporting the show and I'll see you in the next episode.